Welcome to today's episode of Pros and Politics Podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. My name is Kahala, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us today as we delve into a topic that is near and dear to my heart, speech and language pathology, as we discuss SLPs, speech and language in the African-American community and children across America. And we have two very special guests who are also very near, very near and dear to my heart, my two very best friends, Chastity Bogay Liddell and Christy Bogay Potts. Welcome, best friends. That's my best friend. <laughs> Welcome to Pearls and Banks. Thank you. I'm so excited to have y'all here. We've been working on this for a while. <laughs> yes, we have. Been working on this for a while, and you two are finally here. I love your t-shirt. <laughs> Thanks. I love your t-shirt, Oh, Black speech pathologists matter. Yes, they do. <laughs> Period. Matters to me, matters to moms and dads and guardians all over the world. And so thank you for coming on. So tell us really quickly, how do we know each other? Well, <laughs> we have known each other almost 30 years. We met in high school, Lincoln Senior High School, and we have been BFFs, soror, sister friends ever since. And family. And family. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And like you said, soror. So you all agree? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. We'll give your sorority and your chapter a shout out. Gamma Omega, a.k.a. That's right. That's right. And so one of us is a Neo. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Chansey and Monica, Monica Johnson, who was here during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. They are Lion's family and Lion's sisters. So we, it's just one big happy <laughs> pinky green letter of magic. You know, we've been at this forever and we still together situation over here <laughs> in front of the pies, pie can. Yes. Um, and so tell us about yourself. So whoever wants to go first, um, y'all only a couple days apart. So <laughs> you know, if older wants to go first or the younger, but please tell us. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You can go first. Well, I am, um, I'm a wife to an amazing man for uh, 17 years now. Um, I am a mother to an amazing 14-year-old. Um, I am a speech-language pathologist. I, I currently work in the schools in Ferguson, Florissant, Missouri. Um, I have worked at several schools and still nursing facilities throughout St. Louis City and St. Louis County. And how long have you been practicing? I have been practicing for 19 years. Yeah. 
So um, similar, very similar. Um, so my um, I'm married um, and I have one daughter, Piper. She's a dancer, so I consider myself a dance mom. Absolutely, a dance mom. Yeah, that's why she in town. Dance mom. Um, and I am also a speech language pathologist. I've been practicing for the same nineteen years. Um, my both my undergraduate and graduate degrees are in uh, speech language pathology. And um, let's see what else about me. I think that's it. Dance mom takes up like mostly all of my time. Yeah, I, I understand. Her daughter is the most amazing dancer. Yes, she is. Yes. And Christian is an amazing both academic and athlete, um, as we stated when his dad was here, because when we did original Jets during our time celebrating black business, that is her wonderful husband that she speaks of and Christian valedictorian and all of that. So they have two very amazing children, both of them. Um, and you know, you two have been a part of my life, like you said, for 30 years now. And so much of what you all have done for the last 19 years has impacted my life and the life of my family directly. Um, as speech and language pathologists and subject matter experts, you all have helped my husband and I navigate the um, speech delay that Anthony had growing up. And so most people don't know um, our oldest, Anthony, was diagnosed very early on. And it was you who told me, well, there's a birth to three program. I had no idea, you know, our first baby. And I'm like, okay, well, he doesn't talk. And that was a very difficult time, mm -hmm. um, a very uncertain time, mm -hmm. because the pregnancy was great. Mm -hmm. And feel free to jump in at any point. Um, the pregnancy was great because, you know, well, did he go without oxygen during, during labor? There were so many questions that, you all ask and that, you know, the ear people ask. Yeah. What do they call? Audiologists. There you go. And there had been no issues. Right. Very healthy pregnancy. I was young. I was in my 20s when I got pregnant. And I'm just trying to figure out why my baby doesn't talk. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard for me. Um, and for our family, but I knew that he needed help. And the two of y'all weren't going for no nothing. They were not. You know, a lot of people, we can talk about the stigma of getting help. <laughs> you know, a lot of people in the African-American community were like, okay, oh, he'll grow out of it. Yes. And I'm like, okay, faith without works is dead. So I can have all the faith in the world and pray and do everything I'm supposed to do. But it was the work that was needed to come alongside my faith. Yeah. So you all have been a part of that process the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just like switched. And now look, you know, <laughs> it, it's been really good. So let's talk as my has amazing parents. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal parents. And you all did the work. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So why speech pathology? Why did you choose that area? Well, um, we were in college at um, Illinois State University, and um, we took like an undergraduate level elective. And I can't remember, it was like speech and language and like child development or something like that. And it was in, in this huge lecture hall. But anyway, um, the teacher was phenomenal and, and the content was phenomenal. And that sort of like piqued our interest mm -hmm. in 
speech language pathology. And so um, the class, I mean, it w- it was just wonderful. It was like um, just a lot of things. Um, we felt like, you know, well, I definitely felt like I, I think I could see myself doing this, like helping people. Um, but I must say, when I was in that um, early language um, or early childhood language class, um, I knew, I was like, I, I do think that I want to do this, but I don't know that I want to work with children. And so um, initially, the intent was that I would not work with kids, that I would only work with adults, but then that changed. So, And same with me. Once we, once I took that introductory course, I just became fascinated with the wide variety of disorders that we could treat and the variety of settings that we could work in. And so that's why I initially changed my major from biology to speech language pathology pathology and you were saying initially Tassie that you weren't thinking about children but both of you work in an academic setting yes so what and you (laughs) treated my father yeah at Barnes Jewish Hospital yes when my father had his aneurysm so what led you all to and back to academia and children uh well honestly um I did um a little bit of work um, in the hospital, but when I, I, the summers, the summers off, like I got a taste of that and it was like, real, that's right. I, I was like, there's no going back. Like I, I like having the summers off. And so, um, and especially when I had Piper, it was just, it just seemed like a logical yeah. choice yeah. Um, to have my summer off when, you know, she has her summer off. So it just, it just worked. And I do enjoy working with children, um, you know, in college and in graduate school, I didn't think that I would, I was just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. We were wild. (laughs) Like we were just footloose and fancy breeze. So, you know, you don't always have that instinct or that nudge until you become a mother yourself or you get into the setting where you are dealing with children. Right. And then you're like, oh, I think I changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah, so then I actually started in early intervention um, from zero to three, and then I did three to five. Um, and so that was cool. Um, but now I'm, you know, in elementary setting, and I love it. Yeah. And so with me, I've always wanted to be on the medical side of speech pathology. So I completed two internships, one at Bourne's Hospital and one at Children's Hospital, St. Louis Children's Hospital. And I wanted to be on the medical side, working with the swallowing disorders and the traumatic brain injuries. However, I've always had a passion for working with kids, for, for kids, period. Kids have always gravitated to me. I've always babysat. <laughs> yes, I've always babysat my little cousins, and so I should have known that I would ultimately end up working with kids. And so, yeah. <laughs> and both of you are so good at what you do. Thank like you. I can call them any time of day, any time of night. You know, leading up until you know he was blessed to no longer be. You know have an IEP. I will never forget that day and how we cried when I called. And I was like, I was sitting and I'm at the Zoom meeting and they're like, well, this is what's like, we really don't. And I'm like, what? 
what what and I just I couldn't believe it so you all definitely 19 years later are at the absolute top of your fields and your level of expertise and understanding because there's not like I said there's nothing that I can't call and ask nothing that you all won't help with nothing that you all won't suggest even in talking to them <laughs> you know they're telling me how in high school trying to get him adjusted he can be better adjusted to make better grades uh, based on the services that are provided through the state and federal government. So I know I when I always talk about my village and down like this woman got somebody. Your ears don't work if you you know your vocal cords. Yes, and I have a wonderful family of people. So let's talk about what SLP or speech and language pathologist SLPs for short. What you all do, what did you say? Brain trauma, swallowing. I know you all deal with speech delays and stuttering. So that way people, because a lot of people may not know Mm -hmm. what you all do and they might, somebody might be listening that's like, oh my goodness, that is something that my child struggles with. And they're saying that's something that can be treated. Yeah. So um, with children in the school setting, we primarily work with kids with articulation impairments. So they may not be able to correctly produce, let's say an R sound or an L sound. And then we also work with children who may have um, language impairments or language um, delays. So like with the younger kids, we like to say language delays because we the the idea is that they will grow out of it. And then the the older kids, um, they transition into like a language um, impairment. But the language part is um, we work with um, basically vocabulary and meaning, so semantics. And we also work with uh, morphology and syntax. And then that would be like the grammar piece, uh, phonological awareness. So that's that uh, pre-reading or literacy uh, piece. Um, I don't do a lot with swallowing, but um, some SOPs in some school districts in some states um, do work with kids who have um, swallowing disorders. So um, there's that voice. I don't do a lot with voice in um in my job but um we we can um and fluency and fluency so fluency would be um stuttering um so yeah that's pretty much what we do and then in a hospital or clinical setting we um primarily work with um adults with cognitive communication disorders um dementia um dysphagia which is swallowing disorders and um so it just and aphasia so yeah so strokes so yeah all the things that you helped my dad with yes and all the things that you've helped Corey with and just all the things (laughs) I'm telling you when I'm I'm always calling on them for something so let's talk go back to like an academic setting okay and we're talking about children because of course today our primary focus is on the little people. Yes. And there's something called an IEP. And some children have them and some children don't. And there's nothing wrong if you do have an IEP. Um, I have three children. One of them, our oldest, had an IEP. The, the younger two, I I can, one, he's in the second grade reading at a fifth grade level. Um, he's not going to need it. And then I don't think Katie Pooh is going to. 
<laughs> I don't think Jada Boo's not a vibe, you know, because she's a grown woman. <laughs> I'm not sure what is going on. So, but Anthony did. And so let's talk about what an IP is and that we we don't do stigmas here. Right. So an IEP is an individualized education plan where we um, provide services for children. So um, you can also have um, what in Illinois we call resource, um, but you guys call it. We call it resource. Resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where you get some kids get pulled out um, with a teacher who has been certified to teach like um special education so they may pull that student out for that for the some academic pieces but in terms of speech and language I do a lot of pull out sometimes push in um where we I pull the kids out work on articulation um per their goals on their IEP so that we remember the goals and IEP they have um goals and objectives um that we uh should we should write them where as we can we look to see if the kid will meet that goal in a year's time. So an IEP is based on a year. Like an academic year. Mm-hmm. An academic year. And then every three years, that student is reevaluated. Yes. And so um, those goals and objectives. So we have a goal, which is, is very broad. Well, not very broad, but more broad. And then the objectives help us to attain that goal that we wrote, whatever. Yeah, so the the IEP um, ensures that all of the supports are in place for the student to achieve academic success. So the student, the parent, the teacher, the administrators, they all collaborate together to design this academic plan to ensure the success of the student. And again, it's the academic year and the goals. So I remember the goals because sometimes the goals weren't met and you are like, that is okay. Like he's <laughs> going to meet those goals. And then sometimes he would smash them. Yeah. And, and inevitably that's how we were discharged mm-hmm. from his IEP because they were just like, there's just nothing. We, we just can't do nothing else with them. <laughs> like he, we give him a goal, he meets it. Like, talk about an academic year in a quarter or less, you know, and they were like, is that okay? And I'm like, they asked me if it was okay. <laughs> and you are, well, sometimes everybody, it's not okay for some mm-hmm. people, you know, but they don't know you very well because you've been praying for this day for a long time. <laughs> and there's also something you all educated me on today, what's called a 504. Now, is that for older children only, or can that be for any child? It can be for any child, usually elementary age, um, school a school age child. So um, kindergarten through um, 12th grade. Um, yeah, but that is usually handled by the administrator of the school. And it is, consists of modifications and accommodations as well. So what are parents looking for? We want people to be educated and informed. And if you don't, if you're not educated and licensed as a speech and language pathologist, it's just like being a doctor or anything else, you really don't know. So I know there have been a lot of videos. Well, do you know what an RSV cough sounds like? Like trying to educate people. What are parents looking for? It would, to me, because I am overly about everything and they know that for like 30 years, like 
an eyelash can fall out. And I'm like, Misha, Courtney, my eyelash fell out. So I pay really close attention. But if you have multiple children or you work really hard or it's just not something that you do for a living, you don't always understand. So what as parents should we be looking for that you would possibly say, oh, well, you know what, ma'am, your child needs to be evaluated or you're talking to your family member or friend and you see something at the picnic and you're like, you know, because Chatty, I should say something. What are we looking for as parents to say, okay, this might be something that my child might have an issue with? Well, usually parents can tell if there's something different with their child. But I would say um, look at how they're communicating because um, children start communicating early on as babies. So if they're not um, showing any interest in people, that's showing more interest in object ver- objects versus interacting with people, like not making eye contact, not using gestures such as pointing to what they want, waving hi and bye, smiling, you know, just doing those things that um, um, typical babies would do, babbling, if you um, say a word, are they imitating that word? Um, things like that. Yeah, I add to that. Yeah, um, I think I would say um, also um, your pediatrician could be very um, helpful um, in those ages and stages of development. Like if you are a first-time parent um, and you just don't know or you don't have any other children, um, you could also ask um, the pediatrician when you go in. Um, I know that the pediatrician doesn't spend a lot of time with um, each family, but you could ask if there's something in your gut that's saying, oh, communication seems off. Um, I would definitely suggest to ask your pediatrician. And usually they will give you like guidelines, like developmental guidelines. Like the forms you would have yes. for your one year, your yes. two years, your child using 20 words or yeah, type like informational sheets that says, you know, oh, your child should be doing this at this age or this stage. So um, once again, if they're not responding to their name, um, that's a cause for concern. Uh, following simple commands, things like that. But parents usually know. Yeah, they usually have some type of intuition that something is just not quite right. Um, And I would recommend being honest with the developmental checklist that you um, complete at the doctor's office, Um, even though, because there is sometimes maybe a little hesitation to be, you know, honest, but... um, if your student or if your child needs help, the best time to get it is early. Early in early intervention is key. And I would <laughs> advise against please. <laughs> I would I would advise against the wait and see approach. Yes. Yeah. Early intervention is key. It is. Yes. And again, I can I can attest to that because the moment I noticed it, I was calling. The moment I noticed it, I was trying to get him help. Like I said, he did birth to three, mm-hmm. which I knew nothing about. And then the school district at three 
you know, took it over her from three and two. Mm-hmm. And then when he would start in kindergarten, then that's when he was pulled out. Yeah. Or they pushed in. Mm-hmm. And I will say that our school district did an amazing mm-hmm. job. They, they did. They did. And they, well, they really did. School district 90 and on Fallon, Illinois, I mean, they did an outstanding job with Anthony. Um, I still remember, and I think we'll always remember and appreciate his, you know, SLP because I was just like, I just have a special place in my heart now forever because I don't think he would be as far as he is without them. Yeah. You know, she was phenomenal. Yes. And you all kept that check and balance. Well, what did they say and how did it go? And, you know, well, this is where he should be. And I think they're doing a really good job. And that gave me the comfort that I needed because, again, that's not what I'm trained and, you know, licensed to do. Mm-hmm. So it was really good to have that additional support. Mm-hmm. But they really did an outstanding job with him. And now he talks your ears. <laughs> you feel like they're going to bleed. Um, I know you mentioned not being honest on your eval. And we mentioned just a few moments ago about the stigma. Mm-hmm. How do we combat that? How do we stop the wait and see? Because we feel like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want help. And we don't get help. And. We don't do help in this family. We don't do help in this community. I don't want anybody to feel that my child is special. Like, how do we get past those feelings to get our children the help we they need? So, just realizing that you're doing more harm to your child by being in denial and not accepting uh, the fact that your child needs extra support. So um, just getting, yeah. I'll say this too, like it's understandable that um, parents will have a hard time because no one wants something to be like wrong with their child. But when it comes to communication um, disorders and impairments and delays, the idea is, and the research says, the earlier you intervene, the better your your prognosis, right? So you want to get in early with and get that support, preferably in the zero to three time frame, because that's when their brains are more elastic mm-hmm. um, and they're they're growing. So um, I do I I would imagine that it's a grieving process, but um, I would say sometimes you have to sacrifice what you feel for your child. And then understanding that it's not your fault. Yeah, it was it nothing to cause this. Children learn at different rates. They develop at different times. And you're still a good mom. You're still a good dad. Your child just needs a little extra help. And you did nothing to cause this. So just understanding that it's no one, it's, it's not anyone's fault that your child needs extra help. That's awesome. Because, like I said, having lived it, having walked that um, that walk for so many years, it it is not easy. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm the person that runs to the doctor for anything, so it was <laughs> nothing for me. Um, and then to know, like you said, that I had a healthy pregnancy, I took my vitamins, I went to every appointment. I was young, you know, even though I, you know, later I was real old, having but. Um, <laughs> It it's not easy, but the support is is very helpful. So his service providers were very supportive. 
you all were very supportive. And I think if we could keep that type of support going mm -hmm. in the community um, and in that SLP and, you know, IEP community, that's going to be very helpful for people. And then knowing somebody that's been through it, right? Like your yeah. testimony yes. is critical um, because I can tell somebody else, oh, trust me, she's a baby, she's whatever. You know, these are the types of things that we did. You know, I, I tell people, I call, I'd be like, Christy, can Teddy, can such and such call me? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, she can call me to help, you know, God, because again, we don't know. And it, it is difficult because you don't know if it's going to change. Right. Uh, you don't know when it's going to change, if it does. And then you have to like walk that out with your child. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you, you know, how many times I cried mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure, mm -hmm. you know, what his future was going to be, what it was going to be like. And thankfully our testimony is, you know, now that's, you know, we've gotten through that, we developed through that, and now we're on the other side. That's not everybody's story, but again, to be able to have that community of people that you can talk to and share your story with is very helpful because you don't you don't want to delay. You don't. Mm -hmm. And I can certainly see how had I never, not that you all would have ever allowed it. Um, but if I had said I'm not going to get him help, or I waited to junior high school to get him help instead of, you know, at two when it became glary, um, I don't know where Anthony would be right now. Right. And that's not, you don't want to look back in regret thinking, oh, I didn't do everything that I could to help my child. And the services, you know, are through statute, state statute, mm -hmm. federal statute, through your school district. So there's not a lot of reason not to, because mm -hmm. obviously you don't want money to be an issue for someone to get the help they need. So to know that you can get it through your school district right. and they are obligated, yeah, you yeah. know, by yeah. law to make sure that your child succeeds is, um, it's very helpful, um, to know those types of things. So what is the biggest challenge that you all face as SLPs, um, as we close out and how do you all like push through those challenges. I mean, 19 years, like y'all coming up on y'all deuce in a minute. <laughs> there had to have been, oh, well, you know, this really makes my job hard or, you know, it. that's why I transitioned to an academic setting over this because, you know, of the challenges or just the things that didn't work out the way that I felt that they should. Like, what have you all seen? Because you've seen a lot in 20 years. Um. I would say possibly advocating for black and brown children um, to get this free and appropriate education um, that they are entitled to. Um, sometimes depending on like the, I'll say, I'll say environment, um, sometimes disorders with our children maybe come off as bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of our children maybe, instead of looking at 
this child as a whole, it's just like, oh, this is bad behavior. But bad behavior is also communication. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that is my biggest struggle. That's what sometimes, you know, I go home at night and cry about. Um, Or it wakes me up in the middle of the night because our kids are being put in specialized behavior programs when um they and they're not looked at as a whole child also dyslexia um you know kids who have or people who have difficulty learning to read and reading um with us i'm seeing that it's just like oh they're just dumb basically that is the idea when they're not even looking to see if there is a language-based reading disorder there. So that hurts. Yes, I would agree. That, that's that. Cha- that, that is the most challenging for me. I would agree with that as well. We talk about that all the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Week on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah. She bent to me and I bent to her. <laughs> yeah, it's ongoing. And it's an ongoing fight. It is. So it's the advocacy. I love that. You know, I think all four of us are advocates in our own lanes, Mm -hmm. whether it's speech and language and advocating for children and education, whether it's advocating for women and cancer patients, whether it's advocating for people in the criminal justice system. Advocacy is key and it takes people who care Mm -hmm. like you, um, like Kanisha and like myself to keep fighting the good fight. Like that's why this e-platform even exists to be able to advocate and provide information to women of color and communities of color so we can live our best lives mm-hmm. because for so long we have it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's been swept under rugs and, you know, whatever it's, we haven't been given the best of what we deserve as humans, which is what everybody deserves. I don't care how young or old, rich or poor, what color you are, you deserve to live your best life. And that includes education, shelter, healthcare, food, you know, um, all of those things. And for so long, mm-hmm. um, people have, particularly communities of colors, have been marginalized yeah. and not given what we need and the advocacy hasn't been there. So it's wonderful to see a whole generation yeah. of us rising up to advocate. So then that way, hopefully Christian and Piper and Anthony and Jacob and John, John, and you know, Jordy Poole don't have to deal with so many of the disparities that children and people of color deal with now. Mm-hmm. And I think you all are just amazing. <laughs> I already know that like you all are just, phenomenal and I just love the fact that children in northern Illinois and Missouri (laughs) and everywhere in between have people like the two of you to be able to say you know this is what needs to be done and I'm gonna keep fighting for these kids yeah yes thank you yeah thank you (laughs) will you all come back yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) only for you (laughs) they're gonna come back Chris so I'm thinking maybe like a um we can talk about relationships and, and girlfriendships because you know, 30 years and we still, and we, and we, we, still, t- and, and we still look good. Yes, <laughs> we do and do. <laughs> so I think that would be a wonderful episode for us to sit down and just talk about, you know, the love and just mm-hmm. black women sticking together mm-hmm. and yeah. staying together and mm-hmm. supporting each other. So 
But y'all already know that this ain't gonna never stop. We we together till them caskets drop, honey. That that's just what it is. So well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy we were able to finally match schedules with our uh children who are all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. And I just love y'all. Love you too. And you know we love you. Yes, yes. And thank you for tuning in today to Pearls of Politics podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. Please join us again next week. And in the meantime, please like, love, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Okay.